Listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Ninja Tune Podcast. I'm Dexter, your host as usual, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by the one and only Mr. Luke Vibert. Hello. So, Luke, you are a man of many aliases, but today you've got your Wagon Christ costume on, and we're going to be discussing your brand new album, Tomorrow, which will be available via Ninja Tune from the 14th of March. But before we start talking about that and various other things, your life, your influences and things, I wanted to ask, you know, you're Luke Vibert and you're Wagon Christ and your plug. Are these various aliases just a ruse to allow you to release on various different labels? Yeah, it did start off a bit differently, I think, especially Plug, which was the first kind of other alias I had, I think. I was just Wagon Christ at first, so it feels really nice to be Wagon Christ again. It's been a while, and it just about still fits the, the costume, the Wagon Christ costume. But uh, yeah, Plug, I think, because all my friends uh, really hated drum and bass at that point, and were really mean to me, saying, oh, what are you making that for? It's rubbish, it's for kids. and because they sort of thought of it as just even worse rave music, like sped up, stupidly pointless music. And uh, I was trying to explain, no, no, it's like you listen to the bass line, it's half time, no, it's really good. But they just weren't having any of it, including Aphex and all those lot who did eventually totally get into it. But for a couple of years, I was out on a limb and they were even anti-breaks altogether, any break beats. They'd gone into a real drum machine phase. So I had this weird worldview that nobody really liked jungle, or at least nobody like me. So, uh, yeah, I thought I'd better come up with a different name because I didn't want to put off all the kind of Wagon Christ people who liked that. So I thought, oh, I can't be Wagon Christ. I didn't want to be Luke Vibert for some reason. I think I was a bit scared of being my own name at that point. So, yeah, that was the first one, Plug. It just seemed like a good thing to do, really. We're about to get ready to do what we've been doing all this time. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll move on to address the new Wagon Christ album tomorrow. It's your first under the Wagon Christ name for seven years. So why has there been such a long break? Have you been working on it constantly for seven years or did you take some time off from the Wagon Christ thing? We're about to get ready to do what we've been doing all this time. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, yeah, I mean, some tracks are actually seven years old, I think almost, or five years maybe. And uh, I've been sort of sitting on them for that long and occasionally loading them up and little tweaks here and there. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure why really. I did about five years ago, I think, not long after the last Wagon Christ, I sent a load to Pete, 
and then and he said oh yeah nice shaping up for another good album and then it was only quite recently that we got back in touch and said oh should we do another wagon christ thing we both seemed quite excited about it but yeah i'm not sure what happened in between probably mainly kids i suppose for me just kind of forget about more of the music making business half the time i've still been constantly making stuff on the side so it was good really having that big gap because i think i've chosen like a really nice load of tracks with pete and the ninja team hopefully we've got all the best ones from the last few years right there's a fire bullet scarf eh? is it the scarf it's a beard do you want heavy i said do you want This record, I couldn't help, is packed with vocal samples and snippets and bits and pieces. Did you deliberately set out with an idea to have that peppered throughout? I honestly just can't help myself. I don't know what it is. And record labels, right from the start of me releasing stuff, have been saying, oh, can't you do edits without all these bloody vocal samples on? Nobody really likes it apart from me. There must be someone out there who does, but not usually the people at the labels. And I have to really fight my corner saying, come on. It's, it's what I like. I do really like doing it, and I like the sound of all kinds of different vocal samples, but I could easily not do it. I don't know really why I pepper them with so many vocal samples. It's some kind of conversation. It feels like I'm talking to the track or something. But yeah, I don't. I've never really analysed it that much. I just, I know it's really hard for me not to fill a track with bloody stupid vocal samples, so I do apologise for that. <laughs> What's your process with, with all the vocal samples? Do you sort of find a sample and then build a song around that, or do you build a song and try and find a sample to fit in where you'd want it to go? Yeah, usually the latter. I think, like, uh, I don't think I ever start with, with vocals. It's quite a, a way down the line, usually, in the arrangement. I guess instead of a, an actual vocal line, in a way, or, or a guitar solo, or whatever the hell would be the kind of lead. But I mean, every time I hear a nice vocal, I put it in my sort of database of vocals. I've just got this massive folder called Vox on my desktop, and then inside that, split up like vocoder and miscellaneous and God knows what arcade things from arcade games. Just hundreds of folders, and I usually, yeah, once I've got quite far with the arrangement, I'll just start peppering it with vocal samples. I just, again, just can't help myself. Already coming. Oh, what a futuristic. I will see tomorrow. Thank you. Oh, what a futuristic. Oh, what a futuristic. Get on the dance floor. Get on it. I want you. I want you. Do you have a favourite track on, on the new one? One of the oldest ones was the title track, Tomorrow. Uh, and that sort of, I still like that after maybe six or seven years or however long it's been. So I guess that must be one favourite. And I can't really tell with the newer ones, like maybe Manalyze This. That was only from about maybe six months ago or something. It's one of the more recent ones. I think I really like it, but I never really 
make up my mind until a couple of years at least. And if I still like it then, I think, oh yeah, that must be a good one. Get on the dance floor. Get my show. Get nasty. Get on it. Get up and go. I also really like uh, Mr. Mukatsuku. Yeah, who is he? The name came from this wicked girl I hung out with, a Japanese girl called Misat, and she used to get really annoyed with me for some reason, I think, only when she was drunk, because I'm a bit of a sort of piss taker, and I'd make jokes with her, and she'd say, ah, mukatsuku, mukatsuku ne, which means, ah, you're so annoying. So uh, I, I said, yeah, I'm Mr. Mukatsuku, and uh, she really hated it, and said, no, no, not Mr. Mukatsuku, bad name, bad name, and, and uh, I just thought it would kind of wind her up to call a track on the album Mr. Mukatsuki. Now, you've been making music for nearly two decades. Is there, over that time, is there a single bit of kit or software or anything that's completely revolutionised it for you, or at least made it a great deal easier? For me, it's got to be the sampler, really. I know it was invented before that, but I think 1991, I got my first sampler, and oh, that was just definitely the biggest turning point for me. Before that, we just had guitar, bongos, rubbish, keyboards, and had to make everything from scratch. Like, I never liked that feeling, and still don't now, when I, I just love using samples. It's nice to start with something that's already been done by someone else. So I'm not really a massive, sort of, inspired person where... I just come up with ideas on my own. I have to just work from something. So yeah, that was really mad for me. And I think that we just immediately sampled ridiculous things like the Beatles and Madonna and things you could never release. But I still love that. And in a parallel universe, I wish there was no copyright law. And I, I, I just love the idea of sampling. It's great, postmodern in effect. And uh, obviously, over the course of, of your time in the business. The industry itself has changed quite a lot, particularly in the last sort of five, ten years. Um, would, would you say it was more fun when you originally debuted in the 90s, or is it, or is it better now for you as an artist? Yeah, it did feel really different, like uh, my first labels, and then the weirdest one that sticks out to me is like being signed by Virgin, really, in 96, and that would just never happen now, because the guy who really liked my music, who worked at Virgin, knew I wasn't going to be that successful. And he'd also signed uh, the Chemical Brothers and Fatboy Slim, and he thought, well, yeah, they'll do quite well, and so I'll sign Luke, who I really like, and he's not going to sell as much, but... I think that was the way it kind of worked in the old days because they have some successful people they could also do something they liked just for themselves, you know. And the, the budget wasn't very big and they, for me it was a massive load of money but for them I'm sure it wasn't compared to like the Spice Girls who funnily enough they signed at almost exactly the same time as me and Billy Piper, I remember the first time I went in she was just, she'd just been signed and they were all like wooing her. Obviously they never wooed me but still, I mean it's mad to think back that they took a... Not a risk necessarily, but you know, they were prepared to pump a load of money into 
quite underground stuff and it never got involved with you know trying to make me more cheesy or perhaps suggesting I work with singers I kind of wish they had but they, they didn't they just left me on my own that's kind of the maddest thing thinking about that now because that would just never happen now but yeah I don't know if it was more fun I mean I was really lucky because I was written about I think because electronic music in in the UK and everywhere else probably was quite new at that point or at least new for indie white kids kind of to get into when I was just at that point and I had loads of press like 94, 95, 96 I was nearly always in NME or Melody Maker or whatever mags were around at that time even though I wasn't selling many records at all but that, that didn't make any difference really they were just they liked the idea and I was going to say possibly the image but I didn't really have any image but yeah that was wicked for me because I then got loads of remixes and stuff through that people thought disproportionately I think that I must be quite popular if I was always in the NME and maybe successfully so I'd get all these mad remix offers from whoever Nine Inch Nails and quite a, I got 10 grand I think just for one Nine Inch Nails mix and that would never happen now you know now I'm scraping to make 10 grand a year it's like bloody hell so it was a, a wicked time it was kind of the end of days for certain things Let the bass kick. Uh, uh, I like to hear a new beat. Uh, okay, you got it. kind of like to talk to you a bit about your musical roots we tend to do this on the podcast we ask our guests to pick a few songs but before we move on to your selections i wanted to ask a bit about your locale growing up obviously everything that i read it mentions the uh, that you came from a little bit of a hotbed down in cornwall when you started out yeah in hindsight it was really um, i wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else but actually it didn't feel like it at the time i mean it took a long time at least to to feel like it, I think I was almost 20 by the time I started thinking, oh hang on, this is quite wicked down here. But yeah, all through the 80s it was just so quiet really. I think I was in dodgy bands from kind of 1984 onwards when I was like 11 or 12. And uh, then I did my music GCSE, like whenever that was, 88 or something. And uh, that was the first time I remember I'd used anything electronic, drum machines and keyboards and made a really simple track. and. Uh, then not long after that, maybe 89, before I'd met Aphex, because he went, we only lived a few miles apart, but he went to a different school. My parents had sent me off to a boys' boarding school in desperation to make me knuckle down and work, which obviously just had the opposite effect, because as long as they were paying the fees to the school, the school just didn't care. Then I heard a tape of Aphex stuff and we couldn't believe he was from just down the road but it sounded really alien and new kind of music and it was mainly songs I recognised that were kind of dance hits-ish at the time like even Rebel MC and Double Trouble kind of stuff but he just edited it and put mad distorted drums on it and 
I'd never heard anything like it, so that was when I think I first thought, oh wow, maybe being in Cornwall's pretty good. And then he started doing well, kind of became Aphex, I think, in like 1990. And uh, yeah, from then on, it was him, me, Tom Middleton, Grant, who started Reflex, and it did feel like a really nice little scene down there at that point. And even our own nights and things, because there was nothing going on. So 1991, maybe we started a night down in this, the only club we could do in the Bougie in Newquay in Cornwall. But I think the most important thing in a way was because it wasn't a big city, we didn't really know what was going on anywhere else, which was good. So we kind of did what we thought everyone else was doing, but it turned out it wasn't actually at all. We were kind of getting it wrong, but in quite an interesting way. So that was really good. If I'm sure if I was in London or any big city, I'd probably just have fallen into a pretty set genre, like making techno or ambient or hip-hop or whatever the hell, but we kind of mixed everything up a bit, sort of by mistake, but just because we didn't know that you're supposed to make one kind of music and stick to it. <laughs> so that was good, definitely. Well, it's for God's sake, Britain, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. you'd sort of heard, first heard this crazy music being made down the road what was the step from there into your music and you becoming an artist in your own right I had loads of help from my mate Jeremy Simmons uh, we met in 88 at school and like sixth form college and um, he had a four track tape and we'd already started playing around with stuff but really conventional like we had a guitar like acoustic guitar and bongos and I had a microphone and I had one rubbish synth from when I was like 11, a little tiny Casio, tiny little Captain Nemo kind of organ Casio thing. So we were making tracks and they were quite weird and we'd distort stuff and try and make it sound, well we didn't really think about distortion, it just sounded better when we turned it up as loud as it could. But then when we heard Aphex that just really galvanised us I think to like at least be more serious. We didn't especially take massive musical inspiration from it, I don't think. It was more like, wow, this geezer's just down the road and really pumping out mad tracks. So, uh, yeah, but we were a bit more jazzy, funky, really. We liked kind of uh, Herbie Hancock, I think, was probably our biggest influence at that point, like uh, Headhunters sort of stuff. So we were trying to be funky. And then when he came along, it was like, oh, hang on, that sort of techno sounds wicked. So I think we definitely went a bit more techno but while keeping the sort of more breaky, funky vibe at the same time. But yeah, I think it was more just for the seriousness, really, of him. We knew he was just one bloke in a bedroom, just pumping out so many tracks. We got tape after tape after that, and he'd fill up both sides of a tape in a week with all new tracks, and that was just a real inspiration, like, okay, yeah, come on, let's try and do what he's doing. Not musically, but the same sort of amount of work. <laughs> You mentioned Herbie Hancock just now, um, who is one of your selections for your five influence tracks. So it feels like a, a logical juncture to move on to talking about that. And 
I guess we could start off by talking about the Herbie Hancock track, which is called Chameleon, and uh, we're going to play a bit of it now, but why did you pick that? Obviously, you just mentioned that it was uh, an early thing you got into when you were starting to make music. Well, it's definitely one of my favourite tracks of his, but it was also one I'd managed to fluke really early on before I even really knew anything about I think I'd heard the word jazz but hardly and I didn't know what it was but uh, I loved his Rocket single I don't think I bought Rocket but then the follow up came out Auto Drive or something and uh, for some reason on the B side they put a weird version of Chameleon exactly the same track but with kind of 80s rock reverbs on it and stuff it's called Chameleon 83 remix or something but uh it's actually exactly the same track, just with some bell end who's like put loads of massive gated Phil Collins reverbs on everything. But uh, I didn't care at the time, it sounded wicked. I thought, wow, this is mad music. It was only about five years after that that I met Jeremy and he had a few Herbie Hancocks like Headhunters and this one, Greatest Hits, which had some wicked tracks on. Uh, and then, and it was the clean, sort of dry original version of Chameleon on that and yeah I don't know what it is about that track it's just such a journey really funky and jazzy and mad key changes and I couldn't believe the solos like he does there's really interesting chord changes but then the notes he chooses to play on top I think that was a really big influence on me let's hear a bit of that now Herbie Hancock Chameleon was Chameleon by Herbie Hancock as selected by Luke Viber our guest today or Wagon Christ of course as he should be known for this afternoon at least and probably the next couple of months so your next selection I think we're going to move on to Adam and the Ants you've picked Car Trouble Part 1 what is it about that one that makes you want to play it out to the audience now uh, it could almost be anyone off that Dirk Wears White Socks album but yeah I don't know what it is about that one something about the melody them. again in a way the mad melody he hears with the chords the chords are weird enough in that track but the tune that he chooses to sing on top is just I don't think anyone else in the world would ever choose to sing those notes I got a So yeah, uh, the next choice that you gave me um, is a song called Something in the Water Does Not Compute by Prince. It's another excellent choice. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Prince generally. Oh, I can't really say love in the present tense, but yeah, I, for a while he could do no wrong at all for me. And I was lucky that my dad had managed to see him actually 
when he was supporting the Rolling Stones in 1979 or something, my dad had gone up to see him and had come back like, oh, the Rolling Stones were shit, but this guy Prince was amazing, even though he'd basically got booed off the stage because he was in his dirty mind phase and wearing pants and suspenders and whatever. But my dad loved him, and from then on I'd, I'd hear him quite a lot. I think 1999 was the first album I really got into. Some people tell me I got great legs. Can't figure out why you make me So that was uh, Something in the Water Does Not Compute by Prince. Now, your next choice is sort of, I, I, I'm starting to see a through line, especially in what you're saying. And the next song, which is uh, In the Army Now by Art of Noise, it totally makes sense why that would have appealed to you. Do you want to explain to us why? Um, it's a weird one, that Art of Noise one. It was, I didn't know anything about the music. It was just a real mad fluke where you could almost say if you're a ponce, like, a, ooh, it was him somehow uh, I was meant to buy that record or something like Fate, but it was just really cheap I remember in uh, Woolies in Red Ruth in Cornwall, and it was just in their sale, and I really liked the cover and it was ZTT record label which obviously I'd, I'd never heard of, I think it was even the first thing they'd put out but it just looked wicked, and not like my dad's records, because he was more like Jimi Hendrix and whatever, and it was always the artist on the cover, and this one was like, oh, that's a weird-looking record. God knows what it said on the cover, like, some sounds reach you even though you can't hear them or something. And it just kind of intrigued me as a kid, and, and that sort of carried over into the music. I did really like it, but I wasn't that critical at that point, so I, I just put it on anyway, even if I didn't like it. It was one of the few records I had. But in the army now, that really affected me. The army now. in the army now by Art of Noise as selected by Luke and we've now got your final selection which is Grandmaster Flash and Furious 5 and The Message the song speaks for itself I think in a lot of ways but what, why, why that of all the songs ever was the, what, what is it about, about that that influenced you? Well partly the time that it was at it seemed really different and new 
I really liked the music. I, I loved the words. I'd never heard anything like that. Although I think, in a way, we were sort of primed more in England for rap, like uh, Ian Jury and a few other things like that. I was, I really liked as a kid. So it kind of slotted into what I liked anyway. But just sounded really cool and whew, hard to describe. Really. And I, I still love it now. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stage, you know they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise, got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back, junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far Cause a man with the tow truck repossessed my car Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge I'm trying not to lose my head <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under So that was The Message by Grandmaster Flash I selected by Luke And we've already heard bits and bobs from Herbie Hancock and Adam and the Ants and Prince and Art of Noise so yeah listening to those influences and talking to you about what they've meant to you and a little bit about your career the final question to wrap things up um, I wanted to ask uh, have you got any new collaborations or even aliases on the horizon that you're looking to launch funnily enough in the last what three or four years I've been making early 90s garagey sort of stuff like massive Todd Terry fan that I am basically ripping him off but making it a bit more dirty and ravey and something or other but not speed garage it's like strictly 120 to maybe 125 BPM but but yeah I, yeah, I thought shit I'd better come up with a new name for that maybe I was thinking lukewarm a, a, a loss for anything else but yeah I'm, I'm, I think uh, that would have to be they'd have to be all grouped together really those tracks because they sound really not really like me and they work together with each other but not with any other kind of music I make so yeah that, that, at some point I've, I've got to do that I've made about 20 of them now so enough for an album Brilliant well um, thanks very much for joining me I look forward to doing a lukewarm podcast when that one finally rolls around but yeah thanks very much it's been great to meet you and as I said and I've, I've been trying to stress as much as possible the new album is brilliant it's called Tomorrow and it's out on Ninja Tune on 14th of March 2011 so be sure to get your mitts on a copy of that Coming up next, we've got a selection of our most exciting new releases coming out of the new tune offices in the next month or two. Uh, the first track we've got is Dorian Concept with My Face Needs Food.
that was My Face Needs Food by Dorian Concept and up next we've got Dells with G.O.B. I won't be consumed by your heart Chew me up, spit me out Swallow by the gulf, no the gulf Can't touch me now Most spray lines like the fountain of you I base this on troops, distort the view and Would I be here if she kept my cue? A young teen barber Searching for a miracle A fallen star of a wish that would get me through These digitized times where they lie so pitiful Cut the cold umbilical It's time to leave my hometown Watch me grow, please, brother, no frown Sometimes I feel like I'm melting Like I just blew my brains out Blow, 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 that's the way down But I'm trying to stay up there Lusting for life for those that are not tears This pen bleeds for you Can you hear me in my dreams trying to speak to you But you never acknowledge you to see right through Did you smell the bunch of flowers that we left on your grave My brothers need guidance, they're being led astray I do too, I'm no angel delight Even though your daughter told me aim for the light Head down that path, keep to the right But I took my own path, relieved the plight Can't tell the difference between the trees and the grass A road in the park, a blade in my heart I keep the roar, rough around the edges Fuck strapping for perfection, pen and lead zeppelin My mind's a deadly weapon, kill them in a millisecond Untouched by my words, though I never even met them Relax, let the soul set in They'll signing out, see you on the next setting Long that was Dells with GOB on the Inner podcast. And up next, got a tune from Daedalus, who's a forthcoming guest on the Inner podcast. And the track is called Taylor Made, and this is the Toki Monster remix. future guest Daedalus with TaylorMade and that was the Toki Monster remix of that up next we've got Stateless with Assassinations and this is the Faulty DL remix
That was the faulty DL remix of Assassinations by Stateless. And finally, we've got Amika with Count Backwards. backwards from Amika and that was the final tune of this episode of the Ninja Tune podcast thanks very much for downloading it and having a listen thanks very much to Darren for producing this podcast thanks to Luke Vibert for coming and joining me for the chat earlier Uh, I've been Dexter your host so yeah all that remains is have a nice time until the next one